If you were literally walking and somebody took a hit from a truck from you, would you be grateful? Would you have any problem if, would you have any problem if all the person who took the hit for you wanted you to do was just tell everyone what he did for you? Ryan, Ryan, look, man, all you got to do, his, his wish on his deathbed was that you would simply tell others what he did. Would you have any problem? Would you think that'd be an unreasonable request? Would you be willing to do even more? All right, what if now all of a sudden Satan's still dead, but guess what? On the third day, you know what happens to the super, superhero? Third day, guess what you're going to do? Come on. Dun, da, dun. He's a superhero again, even more powerful because he shed his earthly body. He is nothing but supernatural. There you go, man. <laughs> Just be careful where you step. <laughs> all right. He's, but now look, look, look. So the superhero, all right, you don't have to go like that. Just go, rah. The superhero now, what if this superhero wanted to live with you and wanted to protect you and take care of you and provide for you, uh, man? Uh, and what if he was successful at doing that? Everything he said worked. Can you imagine? And everything he said for you to do, it eventually worked out. He protected you. He provided for you. He took you places you couldn't ever go. Would you be excited to have a superhero to do all that for you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so, so would you then follow him if he was successful? Yes. Yeah, and would you tell others about him? Yes. Would, you, would you let other people know, and would you invite other people, since a superhero is like supernatural and he can handle more than just you, would you have other people follow this superhero? Yes. Yeah, and would that be an unreasonable thing to do? No. So you guys see the illustration, this is what happened? You guys, Satan, get up. As I work it, thank you, man. I knew I could pick on you. Give these guys a hand, real quick. All right. So listen. In reality, that's what happened, dude. You were dumbdy dumbing through life, and and a big Mack truck called Satan, called sin, all the sin of the world. It, it, Satan was just one part of it, but it was all the sin of the world. Um, it, it, man was getting ready to cream you. You know that you're guilty of your past, present, and future sins, right? When you come to this world, and, 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 and if somebody doesn't take that sin for you, guess what happens? You take it, and, and you, don't have anybody, you don't have anybody to give you a sacrifice to take you to heaven. You take that sin, and God can't let that sin into heaven, so where do you spend eternity? Let me hear it. We can say it in church. We are in church. Where do you spend it? Yes, in hell. Exactly. So what happened is Christ came and you were getting ready to get creamed by all your sins. And Christ got in the middle of that and Christ took the hit for you. How many of y'all know Christ took the hit at the cross for your past, present and future sins? Every single one of them. How many of you know Christ took the hit for your sins that you're getting ready to commit later today? The ones you're going to commit tomorrow. The situation where you even are like, oh, man, I know God wants me to do this, but I really want to do this. It's all right, man. I'll, you know. Those sins. But I think if we truly realize that that superhero took the hit for us, man, we would be much more grateful. And then truly, when we gave our life to him, he took the hit for us. But he also, where is he at right now? Hey, Bob, where's Christ at? What? Where's? Yeah, he's right in Bob's heart. So I don't know what the rest of y'all are going to do. He's in Bob. Where is he at? Everybody tell me where he's at. He's in me. The superhero lives in me. And he's empowering you to do the right thing always. He's giving you the desire and ability to do that. And the more you listen to him, the better you get at all of that. And so, man, is it unreasonable 
scary? Is it unreasonable? And, and did our superheroes say, look, all I want you to do is tell people about me. Tell, tell people what I did for you. Would that be unreasonable? That's our job. In fact, in the Great Commission, it starts out, it's at the end of Matthew, and this is what Jesus said before he arose. He said, look, man, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. So who's in charge? He is. Come on, you guys, I don't like the seating arrangement. I could pick on you better when you, you guys participate better when y'all were spread out. And by the way, you can spread your chair if you're like, dude, I am so close to that person next to me. Spread out if you want. But listen, who, um, who has all authority in everything? He has all authority in heaven and earth and everywhere. All right. And so he said with that authority, he said, I want you to as you're going into the world, as you're going and doing your thing, whatever your thing is, as you're dumb, de dumb and through life, he said, I want you to make what? What's the D word? Disciples out of out of everyone. He said, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, bringing them into a body, bringing them into a, a family, bringing them into the, the universal church. Not the denominational church, the universal church of all the people who are trusting Christ to pay for their sins, all the ones that he rescued. And he says, and by the way, I'm not asking you to do this alone, because how does he end that? He said, oh, and lo, I am. Anybody remember with you? How long? Always. So the one with all authority, he said, this is what I want you to do while you're here. And by the way, I'm going to be right here with you to help you do it because you can't do it on your own. That's the superhero living right next to you. How many of y'all have that superhero living inside you right now? Yeah, maybe not in your heart. He's in, your, he's in you. He's living in you right now, dude. But how many of y'all have some times where you don't really pay attention to that superhero? You kind of more pay attention to what you want to do. I'm there. But that's why we motivate each other. That's why we read the word of God. When, everywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds. It's about Christ. So we can realize who this superhero is and what he truly wants us to do. And as we finish up the first chapter of 1 Peter, that's how Peter's kind of talking to these persecuted people. Just in case to bring you in on this, um, in 1 Peter, Peter, the apostle Peter, the rough, tough fisherman that denied Christ. How many times did he deny him that we know of? Three times, Jesus even told him he would. He said, no, I won't. I'll go to my death for you, man. That made it even worse. And then after he denied him the third time, and he's watching Jesus being, being ushered off. Remember when Jesus looked at him? Jesus looked at him, and it wasn't a look of disgust. It wasn't like, oh, I can't believe you let me down. That was not it. It was a look of love. Peter, I told you this was going to happen. Prepare. Peter, I told you this was going to happen. Get strong. And so Peter, that same Peter who wished he would have listened to the encouragement from Christ, wants you to listen to the encouragement from Christ. And he's preaching to a, and writing this letter to a group of people that are persecuted from Rome. And they're getting ready to be intensely persecuted by Nero, who burned the city of Rome down, tradition says. And then found out everybody wasn't cool with that. And so he blamed it on the Christians. And now the Christians are being used as Gar torches at garden parties and again you're a beautiful family chris you're a torch at a garden party and the and you girls man now you guys are thrown into a coliseum and they're betting on the heathens are looking and betting on which one's going to go first which one's going to get eaten by the wild animal by the way which one would you bet on out of those three chris she's the first one you guys are faster and younger but but literally no i'm not trying to cause trouble but seriously that's literally what was happening and they'd given their life to Christ. And they're like, what the heck? What is happening here? This was supposed to be all Fruit Loops and Pop-Tarts. And this was supposed to be great. 
that dude said, this is my best life ever. Come on, what's going on? I'm running from animals. Man, we're being persecuted. Meanwhile, what God was doing was he was spreading the church like a giant manure pile that was killing the grass up underneath it. He was taking the church and chunking it to make it into fertilizer so believers could grow all over the world. But in the meantime, people who were believers were dying. But let me ask you a question, Rena. When a believer dies, where do they go? Yeah, to be absent from the bodies to be what? Is that a bad deal? If you were in heaven right now, would you be like, dang, man, I don't want to be in heaven right now. Is that what you'd be saying right now? No, that's what your husband would be saying. I don't want her to be in heaven right now, but you would be like, oh, honey, you'll be here soon. It's awesome. How many of y'all are going to be really ticked off when God takes your life and you end up in heaven? Anybody? No. So does it matter if you go as a torch at a garden party or you get uh, taken out by animals? Man, you know what? The blood, that's what the church needs. I'm not saying we want this persecution, but we live such a fake world of Christianity that everything's all rosy and whatever. You know how God strengthens the church through every generation? Through what? What's the P word? Persecution. There is a saying that the first century church had, the second century church, the third, they said the seed or the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Someone who dies for their faith because it was worth dying for. It wasn't like, well, this persecution's a little too tough, so I'm running and I'm going to hide and I'll be a Christian when it's more favorable. Dude, that sounds like the parable of the sower to me. Like the one seed that was sort of sown in the crack right here that came up and as soon as the sun came, the persecution came and said, ooh, wither down and dies. Guess what? That fruit never, that seed never produced fruit. Christians produce fruit. That one never produced fruit, so it wasn't a Christian. But man, true, the church has always grown through persecution, and that's where we're at with Peter. And what he's trying to tell people is, look, in the midst of all this that you don't find very favorable. Dude, if I take you out, dude, you're going to heaven. It's all going to be good. That may not be it. I want to do supernatural things in your life right now. So when people say, wow, how did you escape? How did that happen? How did this great thing go down? You can give him all the glory and bring others to him. But the way he's doing is he says, man, you know what? I want you to remember that you have a superhero in you that loves you more than anyone. And, and nothing's coming in your life unless it's by his design. And it's for his what? Glory in our what? Our good. We know, Romans 8, 28, Paul wrote, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't mean everything feels good, does it? But the next verse says that the good that comes out of it is we become more like him, which is how we're going to spend eternity. So whatever he chooses to do, man. Hey, let me ask you a question. When you got, your, when you got saved, Jolte, when you got saved, who'd you give your life to? You gave it to him. So do you own it anymore? When you got married, who'd you give it to? <laughs> Your wife. Do you own it anymore? I'm just saying. Dude, if you're a married man, you don't own anything. I'm just saying. But listen, literally, you have given your life to Christ. If you gave it to him, who owns it? He does. Who better qualified to call the shots than the one who knows everything, can do anything, and that's everywhere? Now, you're like, dang, I thought this was going to be kind of an encouraging message. Well, it is. Just hold on. This is encouraging because heaven is not discouraging. But so here's what Peter's saying. He says, man, invest your life in things that are going to last forever. 
Remember I brought in some sour cream one time? Anybody here for that message? I brought in some sour cream. And, and I was just trying to illustrate, what if I went to Walmart and Publix and all the grocery stores and bought all the sour cream that was available right now? I brought all of it, and I put it in the shed in the backyard. Lucinda, what's wrong with that? I, had, I sold our house, mortgaged our house to buy sour cream to put in the shed behind the house. What, what's wrong with that, Lucinda? It's not going to last very long. How many times have you invested everything you had into something that wasn't going to last very long? You thought it was, but it didn't. Christ is, is what we invest in, and today Peter's going to encourage us that when we invest in Christ, he's going to cause us to invest in the two things that last forever, and that is the word of God and the souls of men. The word of God and the souls of men, they, they last forever. So check this out in here, and starting in, uh, uh, it's kind of a little like progression when I was reading this of how God sort of took this, so go with me on this. And the first point here is that Jesus has been around forever, but he's recently been introduced to you. Okay, Chris, when did you give your life to Christ? Do you remember what year? 99. 99. Anybody give their life to Christ before 99? Oh, yep, Julie, how, when did you give your life to Christ? 86. 86. All right, you got me beat because I was 1988. Anybody give their life to Christ before 1986? Dude, I would have suspected it was the old surfer dude. Man, when did you give your life to Christ? Woo, 1972. You got that one beat, Russ? No, when was yours? 78. Hey, let me ask you a question. Who, when, hey, Bob, when did you give your life to Christ? Dude, this year. It was awesome. Every time I go to the zoo now, it brings out great memories of when my surf racks flew off and I got to meet you the next day. And what God did, we went to the zoo yesterday. I was thanking God for you. When did you give your life to Christ? Hey, Scott, when did you give your life to Christ? 1987. Chris, Chris, back there. Chris, when did you give your life to Christ? 1970. Terry, how about you, bro? Early 80s. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, those years were a fog for you, weren't they? Prior to that, yeah. Early 80s. Yes, sir. Pastor, when did you give your life to Christ? Oh, you got the old dude beat. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Is there anybody who got saved before 1957 in here? Oh, D, I got to give D a hug, man. I have not seen you. Oh, D, I love you so much. I was only a teenager. Uh, you were only a teenager. What are you now? You're a teenager. Yeah. How old were you? I mean, what year did you give your life to Christ? Yeah, what do you think? Okay, 1952. Anybody got 1952 beat here? All right, but how many of you have given your life to Christ? Don't ever forget that day. And if you gave it in 1952, you have just recently been introduced to Christ. Just recently, even though that has been a long time, Gary. A lot's happened, Pastor, a long time, but that's recent compared to how long Jesus has been around. Jesus has been around forever, but just recently introduced to you. How many are grateful for that introduction? Yeah. So look at this, verse 20, starting in here. I'm going to read it and then go back with my little notes in here. It says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of who? You. Yeah, that's me. He was, so he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Man, we don't... 
dude, uh, we were at the zoo yesterday, and they were like, oh, and before man was around, you know, 10 billion years ago, and all this, I'm saying, oh, I'm not going to argue with them how old the world is, 10,000 years, 10 bit, whatever, you know, I know there's all kinds of discrepancies, but whatever your date is for how long the world's been around, Jesus has been around longer, amen? He says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God knew that he was going to provide a savior through God the Son. You understand over on this side of eternity, before there was anything ever created, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they were all perfect. And I don't understand the Trinity, and I can't explain them to you through an egg or through whatever else people use. We're not gonna, our minds are not capable of fully understanding something that infinite until we get to heaven. And then we're going to be like, oh, oh, I get it now. But right now, how many of y'all say, I don't get it, honestly? Yo, yeah, I, you know, it's like an egg, you know, the yolk, the shell. What, no, I'm just, we try, but we can't get it. We just got to believe God is one and he's three persons in one. Whatever the Bible says about it, the Trinity is everywhere in scripture. So I want to baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a Trinity everywhere you look, it's there. And so, but before anything was created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were hanging out before there was anything. Hey, D, what were they doing? Were they fighting over whose will was better? Were they fighting? It? What, what, what would be happen if we got three of us together for eternity by ourselves? We get bored, right? Man, we get bored and we start fighting. We start to create something. Well, I want to go to Joy's Ice Cream. Well, I want to go to Pete. You know, it's like, I just, I think of Joy's Ice Cream when I think of you guys now, and that's a good thing. So, but, like, yeah, so, but all three of them were together, no fights. They lived in perfection, total harmony. If, if you finally are, let's just say you were together with some folks and there was perfect harmony, perfect peace. Everything was great. How many of y'all would decide to make some trouble? <laughs> make something that was going to cause trouble? <laughs> well, you are very godlike, Scott, because that's what they did. They created an earth. They created people. And they gave people a free will. How many of you have a free will? How many of you Calvinists have a free will? How many of you Armenians have a free will? And I'm not even going to get into all of that. The fact is that you have a choice to make. Okay? You, God is sovereign, as sovereign can be, and as sovereign as I can understand that. But you have a choice to make. When you come into this world, you can make all the choices that a human being can make, which means that you can make all the choices to be a sinner that you want to sin in. You can't bring God glory. Your, your desire is not for all of that. But he, you have a free will. And at some point in time, he gives you a desire and ability to surrender all you know about yourself to all you know about him. He gives you the ability to believe he's the savior and you need a savior. And when you choose to save, now, does he give you that desire and you have the ability to choose? Then I believe that. So I am more of a Calvinist for those of you that are trying to figure out theology and all of that. Because there's nothing good in me. But that's not what I'm preaching on. Could it be right after? You choose and then now you have the desire to follow him. Man, don't get wrapped up in that. The point of this is, is that when you get saved, now you have choices. So within your, as a, as a sinner, a sinner's only concerned when you come to this world, Ryan, who are you concerned with? Yourself, dude. Little Alana, where's Ashley at? Ashley, oh, you're back there still, not feeling. Little Alana, who does Alana care about? Yeah, herself. You want to think, oh, she's so cute, she smiles, she loves me. No, she loves what you give her. 
That's why she don't love me yet, because I ain't got what she needs. When she gets a little older, I'll be hooking her up. But right now, I got nothing to offer, all right? That's why she loves you, man. And that's how we come into this world, only caring about ourselves, not glorifying God, any of that. And God gives us a desire and ability. It's grace and faith. And at some point, if you get enough, however it works, I'm so finite, I can't understand it. And neither can you, because Calvin and none of those other guys fully understood it. Greater theologians than all of us. They just tried to explain it better. And people fought and created new denominations. But the fact is, when you have enough of the desire and ability to surrender yourself to him, you got no choice, but you do it. You give your life to him. But now, as a believer, how many of y'all are believers again? All right, so here's the believer side. Now you have a choice. You can make choices as a believer. To, to All the choices you can make as a believer to glorify him, what he wants you to do, right? We have choices to make as a believer. But how many of you have lost the flesh and you just don't even satisfy the desires of the flesh anymore? How many of you are never tempted anymore? You never fail in your temptation? How many, how many of you have no flesh anymore where you can go against God? No, we have both. You can still make your choices within the flesh, but you can also make your choices within the spirit of God. Why does God, why didn't God make us a robot, Fernanda? Wouldn't that have been easier? God, just go on my head and only give me the desire and ability to do the right thing. Get rid of my flesh. Get rid of all that. Why does he give us a choice? Yeah. He wants us to choose him, which is what love is. What would you rather have? Little deceptive troublemaker Jules obey because she knows she's going to get it if she doesn't, whatever it is, okay? Or would you rather make the choice to obey you out of love? Mom and dad, I love you. Oh, I love, you'd be like, all right, first of all, that isn't you who possess jewels, but if they made the decision out of love for you because they respect you and honor you and know there's no better choice, which would you rather have as a parent? In fact, the only way we can show our love for God is to choose what he wants. That's why he gave us a choice in stuff. That's why you have a choice now. You want to show them you love them. You can talk. You can sing all you want. Oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. You can even write new songs. I love you, God. Whatever. But the way you show you love him is through your obedience, through choosing him. But so he was foreknown. It's always been God's plan. He knew he was going to give man a choice so man could choose to love him. He's also going to have to give him the desire and ability to do that, too. And we're getting a little too deep here, but just trust me on that. But it was always God's plan for man to have a choice and to be able to choose him. And it was always God's plan to have a savior. When they were back here in eternity dealing with God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, and everything was perfect. And, and then they made creation, they made man. And in the garden, Adam, oh, what wife? Oh, the ultimate dum de dum de dum right? Eve's like, oh, did you see this fruit, man? The snake told me, dum-de-dum-de, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, and that was the ultimate one. In that, did God now start wringing his hands and say, oh, my goodness, man just sinned, and now everybody's going to inherit sin through him? Oh, <gasps> what are we going to do, guys? Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. God the Father, God the Son, come on, do you have a plan? I know, I'll be a sacrifice, and, and, and I'll pay for their sins. Oh, that's a great idea, Jesus. And then all of a sudden that happens. Is that how it happened? No, the scripture says it. It was foreknown. He, Jesus, the Savior, was foreknown. He was always God's plan. That even though we were going to mess up, God made a way for us to succeed before the foundation of the world. 
But he was manifest, he became human in these last times for the sake of who? For you, Chris. If it wasn't for you, man, I mean, he would have done it just for you, man. But he was made manifest. He was 100% man. He came to be 100% man. We're going to see later he was 100% God also, which we can't understand that either. But he was made manifest. He became human. Because, again, we've talked about this before for a while. John, if God says, dude, I want you to go save all the cockroaches. John, you are going to be a savior of the cockroaches, all right? So in order for you to be a substitute for the cockroaches, in order to go communicate with the cockroaches, tell them who God is, and tell them you're going to be the substitute, and be a substitute for all the cockroaches to redeem them, what would you have to become yourself? You'd have to be a cockroach. Would you do that? How many of y'all would, how many of y'all would become a cockroach to redeem the cockroach population? Do you understand that's not as far a fetch as God becoming man? Somehow you think man and God are like right there. No, God becoming man is not even nearly as, is, is, it's way closer for a man becoming a cockroach. <laughs> I know y'all like to think yourself higher than that, but, but think about the fact when God became man, it wasn't like he just took a step down, dude. He dove in head first, bro. But to redeem, to replace to substitute, to be able to communicate, he had to become a cockroach or man, if you will, on that. So he was foreknown. It's always been God's plan to redeem man or have a redemption. He knew man was going to mess up, but he knew there had to be a way to save him before the foundation of the world. But he became, so he became a man in these last times for the sake of you. Now, the last times, the end days, how many of y'all know we're in the end days? You know that? You're like, well, you know, I'm not going to put a sandwich board on and walk around. You know, the world's coming to an end. I'm not going to be chicken little. But the end days is talking about from the time Jesus rose from the dead or ascended, I mean, until the time he comes back again. Has Jesus come back again yet? No, we're in these end days. I, I kind of think and I'd love to hope because we're actually told Peter's going to tell us later to find encouragement and hope in the fact that we're very close to those end days. Is there anybody that believes we might be close to those end days? To Christ coming back? Is there anybody hoping we're in those last time period? Yes. The only reason Terry wants to see it is so his girls don't get married off and their whole family can go to heaven together before he has to deal with all those boys, right? It's totally understandable, but dad of three girls, Terry. I got it. But listen, man. So he says, man, he said, in these last times, he was revealed as a man for the sake of you. You needed him. So again, in this, he's going to tell us, Peter's going to tell us, invest your life in Christ. And he's going to lead you to invest in the two things that last forever, the word of God and the souls of men. And so we start with Jesus, who's been around forever, but recently introduced to you. Then we go to the next part. It says, when you found out how awesome he is, you put all your hope in him. How many of y'all found out how awesome Jesus was? Hey, uh, uh, who's got a Bible real quick? Who's got a Bible open? Sophie, you got a Bible open? I want you to go ahead and open it to Philippians 2 and be ready to read with your most wonderful uh, recording voice that you have, all right? So when you found out how awesome Jesus was, you put all your hope in him. Watch this. It says, who through him are, believe, are, are, are believers in God. So it's through Christ that we actually can even become believers in God 
and God's the one who raised him from the dead. So him being born was proof that he was human. Being raised from the dead is proof that he's God because how many of y'all can raise yourself from the dead? Scott, you die, you lay down there. It's like, you got, can you do anything? No, you can't think, you can't act, you can't do anything. You got to count on someone else. But Jesus rose from the dead as God. As we have stuff in scripture says he rose himself from the dead. We have things the Holy Spirit rose him from the dead. And we had stuff in scripture says the Father rose him from the dead. In fact, where it's coming from here. So guess what? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is who? God. <laughs> and it, God rose Jesus from the dead. So it says, who through him are believers in God. So we're believers in God because of him who raised him from the dead, which is proof that he's God so we can believe him. And God gave Jesus glory. This is where I want Sophie in a minute. She's going to help me preach through Philippians 2, verse 6 through 11 in a second. As soon as we look at the rest of this, he says, so that when you find out how awesome he is, your faith, that's your present faith, to believe that what's going on is going to work out. It's right. I'm following him. Your present faith and your hope. Your hope is your what kind of faith? Not your present faith, but your future faith. Hope hasn't happened yet. So, so it's, it, God gave him glory so you can have faith in the present and in the future and your hope is in who what does it say your hope your your faith and hope are in who god is it adam i see yawning right there is it god plus anybody else is it god plus anything else is it god plus a college education is it god plus a trade is it god plus a great job god plus a great wife god plus a great family is it god plus anything What's our hope in? Ryan, Ryan, on the count of three together, what's your hope in? God. And that's it. Do you see how, what's that punctuation mark he puts at the end of that? Do you notice it's not a colon? You know, it's not a semicolon. It's not a comma. It's a what? A period. And what does it mean when you put a period after something? That's it. So look at what he says here. I'm going to read this without my little notes. Who through him are believers uh, in God who raised him from the dead and gave Jesus glory so that whose faith? Change that personal pronoun to? All right, come on, man. Put your thumbs up, guys. You guys are like, man, I've got you sitting so close to each other right now. All right, so man, your, your, your faith, it's so that whose faith? My faith. We so often read it, your faith, your faith, our faith. It's not, it's my faith. And let me ask you a question. Is my faith and hope in God, period? What are some other things that we might have faith and hope in? Anyone? Money? Yeah, money. Yeah, ourself, our abilities. What's that? Substance? Is that what you said? Yeah. We have faith in a lot of stuff, and that should be one of our prayers. God, what else do I have faith in? Where is my faith in? What is my faith in other than you? Al, your faith going to be in that pilot driving that old DC-3? <laughs> oh, JJ's driving? Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're facing God. Well, <laughs> no. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's stupidity. <laughs> I think it's neither, but... But our faith has to be in God. Our faith has to be in God. And no matter what we're doing. And I challenge you to ask God to show you where your faith is in something other than him. Because that's where we get in trouble. 
So it goes on and says, uh, so that my faith and hope is in who? God, period. So man, when I found out how awesome he is, so Sophie, tell us how awesome he is. Go ahead and read. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you on every verse, but start off with us. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay, okay, talk, talk about talking. Now, so the way this happens in Philippians here is in the Philippian church, there were a couple ladies fighting. They had a little fight. They had a little squabble. And when you have a fight and a squabble, anybody have those in your house? And, and you try to like bring up your point, maybe even get other people to see your point your way. And then these people have their point. And all of a sudden, the church wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing because everybody was defending their point. And that's what was happening. And Paul tells the Philippian church, which was a church he planned, he says, guys, have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. God didn't worry. Christ didn't worry about that stuff. Was Christ God? Yeah, could Christ create a world? Yeah, he did. He, he, he did everything God the Father did, everything God the Holy Spirit. God is, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. He's God. And, and so, but while he came to this earth, there's a, a, a doctrinal statement called, uh, oh man, uh, it's, a, it's a doctrine of substitution. It's, it's, it's the substitution where he came uh, kenosis, I want to say, but anyways, don't listen to that right now. But the bottom line is when he came here on this planet, did he get to choose and pick when he wanted to do godly things? Did he get to pick and choose when he wanted to make stones into bread? Did he get pick and choose of when he wanted to issue judgment and when he wanted to do things? No. Who did he give all the rights to do supernatural things to God, the father? Because he came in submission as God the Son. And he said, I'm going to redeem man. And you call all the shots. And I'm listening. I'm connected to you like Alana was through that umbilical cord, man. That was my connection to God. He, was there ever a time where Jesus wasn't connected to God the Father? Only on the cross for those three hours when he was taken on our sins. Other than that, he was perfectly connected. And he didn't think it was robbery. He didn't think that... You know, well, I really am God. You know, he wasn't competing with God the Father. He wasn't here to impress everybody that he was equal. That was God's job. He was here to do a job, and he stuck with his job. So, he, so keep going, Sophie. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Okay, so he took on the nature of a servant in human likeness. So God, again, hey, Jason, uh, if God really told me that he wants you to redeem the cockroaches, and you got to become a cockroach, man. Are you good with that? No, I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's Jesus. He, he came here as the lowest person because he knew this wasn't his home. This wasn't the deal. And he came as a servant. Go ahead. Keep on going. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, so he humbled himself as a man, as a cockroach. He submitted himself to raid, <laughs> all right? As a cockroach, he submitted himself. He's, as man, he submitted himself to death, obedience, no matter what God the Father wanted. In fact, that's what he, at night, remember in the garden when he was praying? What was he sweating? Do you remember what Luke said? Blood. You gotta be, you gotta have pretty good anxiety, have that happening. That's proven he was man. And it wasn't he was afraid of the pain, he was afraid. He didn't want to be separated from God the Father. But he said, it, not my will, but whose will? Your will be done. He did it because that was God the Father's will. And he became obedient to that, even death on the cross. So he went through all of that 
But, and that's pretty awesome, isn't it? The Mack truck hitting you, you know, saving you. That's pretty awesome, right? Enough, but that's not it. Where's Jesus right now? He's in, the Holy Spirit is in our heart living there. Where's Jesus? Can anybody tell me where Jesus is? The right hand of God. That's why God's not left-handed. He's left-handed, right? Because Jesus is sitting on his right hand. No, it's a bad preacher joke. But the power hand, he's in the power hand. And what is Jesus doing for you right now as we speak? Advocating devil like, oh my goodness. You know what Gary's thinking while this dude's preaching, man? Devil's like, you know what Gary's doing? You know what Gary's thinking about that big snook and he should be listening. Some of y'all are praying for the rapture while I'm preaching. They're like, God, please, my rear end's falling asleep and he's not even close to being done. Whatever. But, but listen, whatever you're doing and the devil accuses you of, nine times out of ten, he's right and you're wrong, isn't he? You're guilty. But as his defense, your defense attorney and the one who also paid the penalty, when the devil comes and says, you know what Colleen just did? And, and, and aren't you glad you don't hear all of that? God, I would beat you up. But guess what Colleen did? Guess what Colleen just did? And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm working on her. All things work together for good to those who love God and call according to Christ. I'm making her more like Christ. I'm giving her the opportunity to become more like me. And one day she's going to be exactly like me. But you know what she did, the devil says. And she says, yes, but I already took care of it. I paid for it. She's not guilty. She can never be condemned of it. Are there consequences for it? Absolutely, there's consequences, but you're never going to suffer condemnation for it in there. He's up there advocating for us. You know what he's also doing? What else is he praying for right now? What is he praying for for you right now? The ability to do what you're supposed to be doing. He's praying for you to succeed. You're being set up to succeed. And when you're listening to him and you're receiving that, man, it's all going down. You're, he's praying for you. Most people know what he did for you. But the whole book of Hebrews, actually, that's what he's talking about to the Hebrew people. You guys talk about all this stuff he did for you. But do you understand what he's doing for you right now? You guys are living in defeat. You guys are thinking that you're, you're whooped by the devil. You think you got more temptation you can handle. You're living. He's there holding your hand, setting you up for success. So man, it, that, that's what, so he's going to now say he did all these things for you, but he says now, here's where he's at now. So go ahead, Sophie. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And okay. So therefore, who exalted him? God exalted him to what? To, to mediocre, you know, living a life of mediocrity. Is that where God exalted him? Well, you're not as high as the angels and you're not here, you know, God just, no, he exalted him to what? The highest place. If you're at the highest place, is there any higher place you can be? So that one at the highest place, because he obeyed God and did what God the Father wanted him to do, he is at the highest place. Is that awesome? There's the one who lives inside of you, the one who's up there praying for you, the one that's rooting you on. And even in the book of Hebrews, it says he's bragging on you. That's my brother Al. That's my brother Chris. Man, look what's going on. He's bragging in heaven on you, is what Hebrews says. That one is the one who's exalted to the highest place. Keep going. And gave him the name that is above every name. Oh, and he has a name above all names, man. So it, that's the, your reputation. That's character. Is there anyone with more honor than Christ? What does that mean to you? Have you ever really thought about that? Once you think about how awesome he is, doesn't that put you at a different level? That guy picked, chose you, Ryan. He chose you. He loves you. Is there anybody who can love you more than him? Is there anybody who can help you more than him? Is there anybody that wants to see you succeed more than him? Dude, 
That's the guy. He's the highest. Keep going, Sophie. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Yeah, so one day when everybody faces him, every knee is going to do what? Some of us have our knees bowing as our Savior, and we're grateful. Others are going to be bowing as Lord and not as a Savior. And we are left here to help eliminate that number of people. So every, there's nobody more important, nobody more powerful, and the more awesome you see he is and that he's... Man, remember that little illustration? Ryan, do you want him living? He wants to live with you. He wants to move in with you. Would that be cool to have the most awesome person in the world moving in with you? Yeah, dude, I bet he pays the bills on the groceries. I bet he even gives a little more than half on the electric bill, bro. I'm just saying, who wants Jesus as a roommate? <laughs> How many of you ever had a really rotten roommate? <laughs> I don't want to know if you have one now, but literally, <laughs> could there be an aw more awesome roommate than him? All right, so keep going. Every knee will bow and profess who he is. Keep going. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Yeah, that's how God's going to be glorified. So, man, when we see how awesome he is, dude, it's like <laughs> we want to do what he says to do and all this. So, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, proof that he's God, gave him glory, that's Philippians, right? So that your faith and your hope are in who? Jason, can you think of anybody better to put your faith and hope in? How about, how about you, Matt? Can you think of anybody better to put your faith and hope in? Can anybody tell me right now, anyone, raise your hand, tell me, is there anyone better to put your faith and hope in? And don't just like, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in this election. I'm, I'm putting it in Congress. <laughs> I'm putting it in this news channel. <laughs> I'm putting it in. I'm putting it in this new system. I heard this new world order is going to be pretty good. I'm putting it in. Dude, look where the world's putting their hope in. And if we're not careful, we put our hope in the same things. I'm not saying don't do your job, the things that you've given, been given the responsibility to do, but you're, make sure your hope and your future are in who? God and God alone. So we, we, we get introduced to him. We find out how awesome he is. When we put, all, we put all our hope and faith in him, we find out how awesome he is. And then we put all our hope and faith in him. We start doing things his way, right? Whatever you do, that's what you trust. Paul Harvey, y'all remember Paul Harvey? Anybody remember the rest of the story? That guy did? He said, if you don't, he said, if you don't do it, you don't believe it. And I think he was right. What you put your faith and trust in or what you do. How many of y'all sitting in that chair right now? Hey, uh, Nikki, if that chair gave out, what's going to happen to you? Yeah, you're crying. You're going down. You got no alternative. All your weight is in that chair right now. Are you sure? All right, you'd be grabbing Emily's hair on the way down and dragging her down with you, right? But you're going down. All your weight and trust is that. And that's what he's saying we do with Christ. He said we put all our faith and trust in him um, when we find out how awesome he is and we start doing things his way. Look at this. Having purified your souls by your what? what? So let me ask you a question. What is the pronoun we keep seeing in this? Having purified whose soul? By what? Your obedience. So whose obedience is purifying your soul? Yours. But let me ask you a question. Where do you get, hey, Susan, where do you get the desire and ability to do that? From God. Because that didn't come as standard equipment. It comes, and that's really the greatest definition of grace. Out of Philippians, I think it's 2.10, 2.13, somewhere in there. 
It's the desire and ability to do what God wants you to do. That's what grace is. That's how you were able to give your life to him. So having purified your soul by your obedience, your God-given desire and ability, and it's to the truth. How many of y'all, before you got saved, thought the word of God was ridiculous? Anybody? No? Man, when God, yeah, Al, dude, when I first saw the word of God, and I'm, I had people showing me, like, dude, that is not how you do it. The very first message I ever heard, even after I got saved, I went to some Baptist church. I was going to the Catholic church, and I wasn't sure I was even going to be allowed in there, but this Hungarian Jew was born again, invited me. So I figured, well, at least he'll get me in, and he can get me out safely start sacrificing chickens or whatever they do at those churches and and i remember man that beautiful little singing group my age girls and guys sat down in front of me and i remember saying god if you can give me a date with one of them it's going to be amazing and I, and, and I and i remember the preacher preaching out of peter we'll get to this later and he was saying he's saying yeah you you're talking about godly women and i remember saying this hick from arkansas he doesn't know anything. I have been to every bar in Orlando and there are no more godly women. And God said, bam, you're looking in the wrong place. I thought it was ridiculous that there were women like that, that I could even desire to be with people like that, that, that I could, I, I thought all the stuff in God's word was really kind of sort of ridiculous at first because it wasn't the way I was trained in my accounting degree. It wasn't the way I was trained in this world. It wasn't the way I was trained to succeed in baseball. It wasn't. Any of these things I had learned my whole life. So guess what? I married that one that was sitting right in front of me about a year later. And it wasn't because it was a challenge. It's because God hooked it all up. And God showed me where godly women were. And when I first started seeing challenges from God's word, it's like, well, God, you know what? I've tried it my way, and my way didn't work. So I'm going to try it your way, but this ain't going to work. That's why I used to tell him, God, this isn't going to work. Do it this way. Give your money away, and I'll pay your bills. God, this ain't going to work. And guess what it did? It worked when I listened to him. And, and he'd tell me other things. And I'm saying, all right, God, it's not going to work. I know it's not going to work. And guess what? I did it and it worked. And then it got to the point where it's like, okay, God, I'm going to do this. And I sort of believe it's going to work, but I don't understand how. And then he would keep teaching me. And then it was like, okay, I know it's going to work, but I got no clue, dude. I can't wait to see what you're going to do now. And then he made it work. And that's where life is right now. Al, you ever experienced that? It's so, yeah. Dude, you listen. He tells you to do things so different than anybody, so different than the world. But guess what? It works. So he says, having purified your soul, your soul gets purified by doing these off-the-wall things he tells you to do called obedience to the truth. And when you do it, it works. And now your soul is more pure. It's less defiled by the world system. It's less defiled by what you were taught in college and what you were taught by the media and you were taught through this world system that's so different. It's different. You live in this world and now you go try to live a different life. It's like this. I, I just talking to somebody who's been in jail for a long time. I don't know if you've been in jail or not, but someone who's been in jail for a long time, if they can succeed in the system within the jail, how easy is it to succeed when you get out? It's very different, very different. So that's why many people end up going back. But you're in this jail system of this world. And, and so we get freed from Christ and we've got to purify our souls through this obedience in here. So then look, when you start doing things his way, you know what happens? When you love God, he causes you to do what? When you love God, he causes you to do what? 
love others, okay? And you fall in love with others, all right? And so look at this. Here he says, for a sincere brotherly love. So when we obey him, what ends up happening is we start experiencing a sincere brotherly love. How many of y'all ever had somebody love you for some, uh, you know, for just what you had? Erica, is that what Scott does? He just loves you for what he can get from you, you know? No, it's a sincere, yeah. But anybody ever had somebody love them for just what they got, and then when you're out, they're like, oh, I'll go find somebody else, you know? That, that is the world's love, but a sincere brotherly love, that's what comes from our obedience. He says a sincere brotherly love, love, we end up loving one another earnestly out of a pure heart. So as we obey him, he says what happens is we develop a true love for each other. I love this word sincere. I've shared it with you before. It means no wax in the crack. That's what this word means, sincere. Here's what happened is that potters back in those days would have a field. And they would dig out clay out of the field, and they only owned that much of a field. So when the clay was gone, the clay was gone. So did they want to waste any clay? No. So they would dig it out, Bob, and they would make it into clay. And then what was the next step once they formed it? What do you think they would do next? You're not a potter, man? Okay, all right. Well, what would they do next, Mary? They fire it. They bake it. Bob, in case you want to get into pottery in your spare time now, it's probably... It's probably safer than doing yard work in 120 degree heat, right, Rosemary? Yeah, yeah. So, so they would fire it. And what would happen sometimes when they fired the clay? It cracked. Oh, my goodness. Who wants to buy You want to buy a cracked pot? Is it good for anything? No, man, you don't want a cracked pot. You're like, well, what am I doing here then? No, a, a cracked pot, it's not worth anything. And, but yet the, the potter had to use that from clay, made it from clay in his field. He couldn't do anything with it. So you know what the unscrupulous potters would do, Bob? They would take wax and they would fill the crack with wax. And then they would decoratively cover it up and paint it all. And it would look like the most beautiful vessel out on the table where they were selling their goods. And so Scott comes home, he buys this beautiful vessel for Erica. Look what I got you. Make me some soup. <laughs> I don't know if you make soup, but anyway, that's Scott's really the cook. But make me some soup. So you have this beautiful pot. And you put this soup in it, what's going to happen now? Rena? what's going to happen to this pot once you put hot water in it? The wax melts, okay? It ruins your soup because nobody wants to eat soup with wax in it, right? And it goes all over the place. So what would be one word to describe your purchase just now? Yeah, pretty disappointed. <laughs> it wasn't what it, was, what, what it appeared to be. So you know what scrupulous buyers would do? They would take a pot. And they would hold it up to the light. And they would turn it around, holding up to the light. And if there was wax in the crack, they would see that. And they would realize that they're being ripped off. They're being deceived. And they wouldn't purchase it. And therefore wouldn't be deceived. This word sincere means not deceived by wax in the crack. It is held up to light. So Chris, if he were talking about you being sincere, your love for your family being sincere, when your love for your family is held up to the light, which is God's word, and it's held up to God's light, man. You are what you appear to be. And man, who wants somebody to sincerely love you? Man, the world's out loving people for what they can get out of you. But man, when somebody sincerely loves you, and that's what we're supposed to be doing with each other. So a sincere love, brotherly love. This brotherly love, Gary, check this out. This is phileo. Philippi, uh, 
This is the Philadelphia love. It's an us love. I love you and you love me. Now, the world can have that, but not to the level of this, because he goes on and says, love one another or agape one another with phileo love. Have an us love with a, me, with a you love. So agape love is this. Bob, I'm probably confusing you on all this, right, man? I'll just, because I don't even know that I'm not confusing myself. Agape love is where I love you no matter what. You could kick me in the teeth, bro, and I still love you, man. And don't try it right now, but I'm just saying, I love you no matter what. There's nothing you can do. Uh, Mark Twain had a thing about forgiveness that I always apply this. He said forgiveness was the fragrance, the violet leaves on the heel that crushes it. In other words, that's agape love, dude. Someone crushes you, dude, you leave a fragrance on them because you love them and it comes from God. That's that love for someone else. So if you have that, and if I have agape love, Gary, and you have agape love, if I have agape love, who do I care about when I'm loving you? You. If you have agape love and you're loving me, who do you care about? Me, no matter what. Can you imagine two people with agape love? That's what agape phileo love is. It's where you're loving them no matter what, but they're loving you no matter what. Is that not cool? Terry, is that good? Dude, agape phileo love. Did you know that's what you guys have? Did you tell her, man? Agape It's where you're going the extra mile. In fact, look what he says. He says, for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. That word earnestly means to go all out. It means you, Terry, you love your wife no matter what. There's nothing she can do to make you stop loving her. You just look for ways, beg for ways, ask God for ways to just love her. And she's doing the same thing. That's the right back at you. Can you imagine what that would be like living in agape phileo love? How many of y'all could dig a world like that? Guess where you get it from, he says, from obedience to Christ. But as soon as we get torn back into our selfish life, back into our selfishness, wanting what I want, well, I'm only going to love them if they love me. I'm only going to do that with Gary if he'll do this with me. That phileo love is where Gary and I both like to fish at the same time because we're catching fish. And it's good, but we stop catching fish. I'm not hanging out with him anymore. I'm going to find somebody else who wants to do what I want to do right now. But agape phileo, dude, that's where I'm doing what you want to do. You're doing what I want to do, man. And man, we're doing it for each other. We're trying to outdo each other. Is that not a cool thing? That's what God wants for your marriage. That's what he wants for your family. That's what he wants for the body of Christ. And we're doing it from a pure heart. So look at the next step. When you fall in love with others, you realize that you would be with them forever. How many of y'all know a believer right now? If I ask you, close your eyes. You know somebody in a church that is a believer. And you're like, well, I don't know if they're a believer. But you know a believer, but you really don't care for him too much. Come on, raise your hand. Is there someone that's in Christ that you're like, yeah, dude, um, you know what? I, I, you see him at the grocery store and you run to the other aisle. You're like, I don't want to. How many of y'all have other fellow believers in Christ that you just really don't see eye to eye? You don't really want to talk to them. You don't want to be around. Anybody? Come on. Thank you, Vicky, for being honest. Colleen, I know you do. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm that guy. No, I'm messing with you, but no. Literally, we all have that. But check this out. You're saved by Christ, right? How are they saved? By Christ. So you're saved by Christ, so how long are you going to be saved? Forever. They're saved by Christ, so how long are they going to be saved? And where's, where are you going to live when you die? And then where are they going to live? So who's going to be together forever? 
<laughs> God hit me with this one this week. Who's going to be together forever? That other believer that you can't stand right now. That's why he says we're supposed to love one another. And the common denominator between us, what makes us not love them and them not love us, I know we'd like to say it's just them. It's them, they're messed up, that's why. I'm perfect, they're messed up. But bottom line, you remember the disciples in the book of Acts? You remember the first century church? You remember when they first started? They were in that little Honda. You remember they were in one accord they were in that little little, they were in one accord you know what that meant that meant that they were seeing life from god's perspective they had different temperaments different personalities different desires but when the holy spirit of god was uniting them they were in one what accord every time you see a little honda accord i want you to think about that (laughs) i still think about how did they all fit in that little honda but anyways but they were in one accord They were together. So when we surrender ourselves and the Holy Spirit's calling the shots, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us through the Word of God. So when we've got the Word of God with the Holy Spirit who's living in us, interpreting it, and we're submitting to it through obedience, guess what we have? Look at that. It's like a hurricane, isn't it? Oh, a hurricane goes this way. Yeah, it's feeding itself. And and what do we have? Everybody say, phileo agape. Yeah, you got, let's just even make it longer, Philadelphia agape. You got Philadelphia agape. That's where me and Gary are trying to outdo each other at serving and loving the other person. But it only happens when we submit to the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And we're doing it, and he says, that's what you're going to get. And wouldn't that make sense because you're going to live with those people forever? How about the next time we see that person, the next time... Next time we hear from, next time we see him on Facebook, somebody cringe or on social media. How about we pray? Say, God, help me love that person. I know you'd rather pray, God, help that person be normal and love me, (laughs) right? But pray, God, help me love that person. If you can't pray that, then that's where you got to start. Give me the desire to love that person. Give me the desire. Just give me the desire to do that. And once you get the desire, say, now give me the ability to do it. Because that's, Jesus said, what did he say? How are people going to recognize his believers? By what? Yeah, not just the ones that like each other and go to church together. Or now don't like these people and go to church somewhere. That's not what he's saying. That's how, we, that's how he, we're recognized because we love. We love unconditional. We, we do what he did. So when you fell in love with others, you realize that you would be with them for how long? How long, Fernanda? Forever. Have you ever thought about that? that we are going to be here forever. And you thought I preached long. I'm like, no, we are almost done. You're like, dude, forever is longer than this? Yeah, we are going to be together forever now. Obviously, Jesus is a much better preacher than me, and that's who we're going to be with there. But look at this next verse. Since you have been born again, entirely of God. Hey, Ashley, I want you guys to get a concept of this. I know we got a few more. We're almost supposed to be done here. But since you've been born again, I want you to understand your being born again is entirely of God. How many of y'all ever had a baby? Anybody had a baby? Had it natural? Could have had it with drugs, epidural, whole nine yards, whatever. That's still natural. That's good. I'm saying doctor didn't cut it out. That's real too, all right? But I'm just saying, how many of y'all just had a, real, had a baby, just popped one out, you know, a matter speaking, right? You tell them a guy. All right, so let me ask you a question. How many of you did that baby help you? 
How many of you was that baby in there fighting? All right, I'm head first now. I'm not breach anymore. Mom, I've kind of, I've kind of turned my, oh, dang, got the umbilical cord. Now I'm going back this way. All right, what? Contract. The door's opening. Here I go. How many of you had the baby help you? Anybody have the baby help you? And did Alana help you, actually, at all? No, in fact, Alana liked it where she was at. She's still cool hanging out with mommy. But, yeah, the baby doesn't help anyone in natural childbirth, does it? No, it's you. And that's like being born again. Do you help God out in your, in your, in your spiritual birth? No. God, God's the one pushing God's the one giving you the desire and ability, giving you grace and faith. So since you have been born again entirely of God, not a perishable seed, which is going to rot, but of imperishable, which is eternal, through the living and abiding word, the rhema, that's not talking about the whole word, he's talking about specifically of the gospel of God. He says, since you've been born that way, he said, you're around forever. So you have been born with imperishable, seed not perishable so you're going to be around forever other believers are going to be around forever and so let me ask you a question when you love god he causes you to love who so we look at this verse from our perspective this is another way god kind of this is where he kind of spoke to me this week so i look at this normal oh you know what i'm i'm going to be around forever and he said what about all the other believers because when i love god who's he caused me to love others so if i apply this to others that means everybody else i love who's born again i'm going to be with them forever and so what does God want us working on with each other right now? Fernando, what's he want us working on with each other? Yeah, our relationship. Figuring out how to love each other through his word and obedience to his word. So when that believer comes, and what about unbelievers? When that unbeliever comes into your life, what would be the best way? Hey, uh, Julie, what would be the best way? Have you ever had an unbeliever come in your life that's like just, a, oh my goodness, I, what would be the best thing in the world for your relationship with an unbeliever? Okay, be kind and love them. And what would be, if they got saved, would that solve a lot? Yeah. So we'd like to see them give their life to Christ and treat them in such a way. Everyone we meet is a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And if they're believers, they're going to spend it with us. And don't you think, how many of y'all know God has a sense of humor? Who do you think he's going to put in your neighborhood, in, in your room, in the mansion right next door to you? And you know what? You're going to be amazed all through eternity without your flesh saying, I hated your guts on earth, but I love you now. <laughs> it's awesome. Why not love them now? Because we've got the flesh in the way. But that's where the Holy Spirit with the word of God and obedience comes in. Because as that happens, we have a sincere love for each other promise i'm almost done when you realize that you would be with them forever so when you realize you're going to be together forever all right so right now pick somebody out in this room that you really don't want to be with forever you're probably saying you dude because you're going to talk the whole time no, but, <laughs> but literally when you realize that you will be with them forever you encourage each other with god's word because god's word is is the common denominator that's god's word that his holy spirit's going to honor and that God's word is going to be forever. Does God's word ever go out of style? Does God's word ever become irrelevant? No. In fact, it's going to be more relevant in heaven than it is here in our own mind because we fully understand it there. We don't get it here. Our flesh gets in the way. 
So look at this. We're almost done. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers fail. So man, you see a beautiful flower, see beautiful flowing, you know, waves of amber grain, whatever that in a song, man. You know, we see all these beautiful stuff, but it's not going to last, dude. It's going away. As beautiful it is. He said, that's going to fail. That's the imperishable seed or the perishable seed, but the imperishable he's talking about. But the word of the Lord remains how long? So what is it we should be investing in? All the stuff that's going away, the stuff that's going to die, the stuff that's going to wither, the stuff that's going to rot. No, I ain't buying regular cheese. I'm buying Velveeta because it never rots. And I'm just like, but no, literally, all this stuff in the world is going to rot. It's gone. He said, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So let me ask you a question. How many of y'all came to Christ because somebody shared the gospel with you? How many of y'all, how many of y'all heard it from somebody else? How many of y'all have ever had somebody encourage you with the word of God? Helped you see life from God's perspective when you weren't seeing that way by the word of God. You know what? The older I get in this, the more I'm learning. The only thing I have to encourage anyone with is God's promises. There was a day where as a pastor, I could say, it's going to be okay. And people would be, all right, I believe you. People aren't that way anymore because they've been let down so much. I can't just say it's going to be all right unless I've got a promise from God. If you want to encourage people, encourage people with God's promises because God cannot lie and his promises are coming true, providing you qualify. You know, I think almost are gone are the days where mama kisses your boo-boo and it's going to all be okay. You need to hear from a promise from God. And that's how we encourage each other. The word of the Lord remains forever. So is God a liar? Is he ever going to lie? Is his promise ever not going to work? It's a matter of, not of if, but it's when. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So in the same way that it was preached to you at salvation, because I doubt that there was any of you that were living in a cave, all isolated on your own, and the Holy Spirit came to you and said, I, you need to be saved. It would be a rare one or two of you, maybe, but I would be willing to bet almost every single one of you heard the word from somebody else. And then the Holy Spirit made it made sense. And so when you're thinking, well, I don't have to say anything to anybody, you don't say anything unless God wants you to say something. You know, you don't have to go talking all the time or whatever, but man, somebody's going to need to hear it from you the same way you heard it from someone else. And you need to be sensitive to that. So man, we need to share it with each other. So here it is. I believe all this does go together. Jesus has been around forever, but recently introduced to you. When you found out how awesome he is, you put all your faith and hope in him. All of it. When you put all your hope in him, you started doing things his way, right? He said, and then when you started doing things his way, you fell in love with others. And when you fell in love with others, you realize, oh, I'm going to be with them forever. So I might as well fall more in love with others. When you realize that you would be with them forever, you encourage each other with God's word, which is also going to be with you forever. So here's what God wants me to give for you today. Invest your life in him. In him. Make sure that's where all your hope, all your faith. Make sure that's where your investments are. You're like, but I'm investing in the stock market. Well, then make sure he wants you to. I'm, I'm not saying you can't invest in worldly things, but make sure whatever you're investing in, whatever you're doing, not your just your treasure, but your time, your talents, everything you do, God, is this cool with you? 
God, is this where you want me to do this? Is this how you want me to invest in him? And you know where you're going to find he's going to lead you? To invest your life in the two things that will last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. I don't care what your occupation is. I don't care where you live. If you invest in him, he's going to lead you to invest in those two permanent things. So go back and see what your life's occupied with. Is it with the word of God and the souls of men? Maybe it's just with the word of God, but not the souls of men. Maybe it's just with the souls of men, not the word of God. It's got to be both. That's where he's leading you. So I don't know where God wants to take this with you, but this is what he did with me today. And I'm grateful that you came and that you listened. But I hope you didn't hear from me. I hope you heard something from him. Let's bow our heads if we could. Father, this is your word. And Father, just as we talked about earlier, Peter wrote this to some persecuted people that were just starting to suffer some persecution in their life. Uh, Way more than what we have. Christianity was now decided it wasn't part of Judaism and there were some persecution coming about, but what Peter's really telling them in, in, this, in this letter is that some real intense persecution is getting ready to come, and he's trying to tell them how to survive. So, Father, I pray that we would listen to Peter, no matter what that persecution is looking like. Father, we could live in a very different world in another month, another year. It's way different than it was last year, than we ever anticipated. And, and the closer we get to you coming back, the weirder it's all going to get. But what a beautiful time for us to be alive. Father, as this world gets darker, Father, what an awesome thing for our light to be able to shine. So, Father, I don't know what stuck out to anybody else in all of this, but I'm grateful that I'm going to live forever, ever with other believers in heaven with you. And, Father, I want to fall more in love with them. Father, I pray you would take the people I don't get along with. Father, the people that are believers that I really don't want to be with, and you would work in both our hearts to be obedient to what your Holy Spirit's telling us to do, and our guidebook would be your word. And as we do this, we become one accord. Because, Father, if the church could get along, if the church um, could just be focused on not fighting and could be focused on loving each other, and the world could see what true love is, Father, that's what's supposed to happen. That's why you left us here. So, Father, if they could see that, Father, then they would know what it's like to be a kingdom child. You left us here to be ambassadors. Ambassadors represent the kingdom. And if other people want it to affect, we get to tell them how. So, Father, I pray that we would represent you well. And that would be by especially loving people that we have to admit we don't love. Father, I pray you would reunite people i pray you you would restore relationships father i pray that you would just do miracles in people's lives and that your love would shine and the world who's watching would see that it was nothing they mustered up but it was something that had to be done by a magnificent god so help us fall more in love with you so we can fall more in love with each other and um act like people that are going to live together Help us share the gospel to bring more people into this kingdom. Father, I'm so grateful for Lewis Edwards sharing that with me, June 27, 1988. It's radically changed my life. And Father, I want to share it with others. I pray, Father, that we be ambassadors for you. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.